The 100% Wild Podcast is brought to you by Onyx Hunt, the nation's number one GPS hunting app. Download today in the Google Play and App Store. Hey, hunting junkies. Welcome back to another episode of the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast. I'm your co-host, Tim Chelswick, joined as always by the venerable... Mr. Matt Drury. Hello, hello. How's it going today, man? It's good. How about you? Well, it's good, I guess. I mean, turkey season for us here in Missouri has come to wah, an end. Wah, yeah. A sad end for some of well, us. Tim. No, yes. not naming any names. <laughs> for one of Tim. us. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it was cool, though. I, you know, even though I didn't end up getting a second bird, I got to go back up to dad's farm and I brought Cameron, my four-year-old yeah. son, with me. And it was his, you know, first time to go hunting, turkey hunting with mm-hmm. me. And that was cool. I mean, we didn't, we didn't have any luck. The birds were pretty much shut down by that point, but it was warm weather. You know, we got to go out there and I was, uh, you know, of course we were cutting and running with dad and, and this camera guy forced, and mm-hmm. we never heard one turkey gobble and n- never ever heard one turkey Brutal. gobble. Cause that's so hard. I didn't take him right out of the gate in the morning. Yeah. I just didn't want to get him up that early. It was actually pretty cold hold that first day we were there. Mm-hmm. So after dad and Forrest got done, you know, off the roost, they came back in to get us and we went out with them. And we, we literally hit the entire farm in multiple spots. It's a 1200 acre piece. And yeah. we went all over this thing, never heard a gobble. And it was classic because mm-hmm. right towards the end of it, we're sitting there and you know, when, when somebody strikes, everybody's silent. I'm Shut teaching up, Cameron yeah. how to do this. And all right, we can't speak. We can't move. we got to listen. And there's nothing happening. Dad's calling. Literally, you're hearing nothing happen. And all of a sudden you hear Cameron. This is a huge go. <sighs> <laughs> dad side to end the hunt. Dad turned around and looked at him and he pointed a striker at him. He goes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that ended the, the hunting portion, but that actually began the day for us because then I got to teach him. I still had my red rider BB gun from when like I was, from when you were a kid. Yeah. From when I was, I, I think I got it when I was like six or seven for Christmas one uh-huh. year. And Did so I have the compass. It didn't have the compass in it, but I, I had it and I've been holding on to it all these years. So I brought it with me Mm. and I taught him how to shoot a gun and gun safety and where to point the barrel and what to do. And that was totally the highlight of the trip. Like I will remember these, we got some great video and and, and photos, but he became really good at it. You know, we were, we were shooting at a, you know, a box. So it was not like he was plunking cans, but it was Mm -hmm. awesome. And, and to see him, you know, kind of go through this little teaching experience and how he related to it. It just, it just gave me hope. Hey, we got, we got one (laughs) more. It's still in the line. It is in the line. So Anyways, I just wanted to share share that with the audience because it was very cool. It was a fun experience. I had a better morale season than I had turkey season. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's okay. I saw that your son caught his first fish. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that my dad was a huge angler. So my first love is, is fishing and, and will always be. And, and so I, I was, I just decided on a whim one Sunday afternoon, let's take Bo and Sophie out. And my wife was doing some other stuff around the house. And so I took him out myself. That was kind of a mistake because Bo is 
an insane two and a half year old boy that yeah. turns everything you give him into a weapon. But uh, but we sat there for maybe 15, 20 minutes and he caught his first sunfish and then another one. And he's watched that video that we did. There was a quick little video on DeerCast of it. He's watched yeah. that probably 20 times. That's awesome. And he'll, like when, when I t- finally have to take the phone away from him, he'll, he says, can I go fishing again? That's the point of it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Take the phone hooked. away, <laughs> take the iPad away and go out and spend time outdoors. Exactly. And, and, and to have him have a favorable experience in the wild like that, that means everything. So That's awesome. And I think that kind of parlays us into our next guest because here's a guy, him and his brother, that have done so much to try to get youth involved in the sport, to try to pass on our hunting heritage, to try to teep, wo- teach woodsmanship skills to people. Totally, it's kind yeah. of a lost art or getting to be a lost art. So why don't you introduce our esteemed guest for today? Yeah, we're, we're happy to say that we've got the guy in the crooked hat today. We've got Barry Wenzel, who has... I mean, I would consider him to be one of the godfathers, if not the godfather of the modern bow hunting, the bow hunting media in terms of, of, of hunting on town on video and absolutely. And, and, and having credit for that, but not taking, just the video side, but the writing side, so writing seminars. And yeah. so, so Barry, welcome aboard. We are awfully glad to have you. My pleasure, except I think I just lost you. We hear you loud and clear. You there, Barry? Oh, do you? Okay. As you say, it all of a sudden it, it went away. I wasn't sure if you were still on there or not. So anyway, I appreciate the, the intro and so forth. I, I love sharing and I'm getting up in years and uh, it's a time that I, I feel like I, I need to, to spread some of my techniques and strategies for whitetails. I happen, I should clarify that. Um, I happen to be a purist bow hunter, but what I like to talk about is whitetail hunting tactics. Um, in other words, just because I only bow hunt um, doesn't mean that it's just geared to my theories are geared towards that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just think that uh, there's a lot of woodsmanship skills that are being watered down or lost in the most recent years, you know, to, to our upcoming youth and so forth. And uh, I think the, the more you put into anything, the more you'll get out of it. So that's my intention. So it, I appreciate well, you, the intro. Yeah. And you've certainly put your time into it. Uh, maybe give the audience a little backstory on when you got started bow hunting. <laughs> Oh, man, we're going way back. I'm in my mid-70s, and frankly, I brought out a DVD here a year or so ago um, that it's, I haven't really even marketed it much yet, but at any rate, uh, a lot of people don't realize that I started filming my own hunts uh, right after high school, um, you know, I mean, class of 62 rules, you know, so I ended up, <laughs> I've heard that. I had an accumulation of, um, I mean, tons of footage. And in 99, 1999, we had a, a storage unit fire and I lost most of it, mm. but, um, I found some a few years ago and I had, uh, 700 hours of accumulated footage all the way from regular eight to super eight, right up through the high definition stuff. And what I did is uh, I had it all put on disc and then I went through the 
700 hours. And think of that, a 40-hour work week, meaning, you know, if you watched it Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, three and a half months from now, you're not done with it yet. So, I mean, a huge volume of footage. So I took it and I put it on a, uh, a DVD, and it's I got it down to four hours of highlights. And there's like chapters on a book of, you know, Bucks I Missed, well, very short chapter on Bucks I Missed. <laughs> <laughs> but bucks I had passed up and and some you know kill shots and bear uh, bear and bow fishing and you know all the hogs and et cetera, just all kinds of, uh, you know, and some rare, some very nostalgic, rare footage, uh, you know, back taken back in the sixties, et cetera. So anyways, it's pretty interesting, but I just decided to, to, uh, share some of my, and yet people have to realize this is not a Hollywood production. This is mm-hmm. uh, mostly home movies that weren't necessarily intended. Some of them were okay for some of them for, for TV shows, but you know, uh, most of the footage or a lot of the footage is is just uh, was originally taken just to share with family and friends and stuff. But anyway, it's pretty interesting. But um, I, as I said, I started the the Gene actually he started writing the books. Uh, he we brought his first book out in 1980, and he came to me and you know said I think we should write a book, and I I said ah, I don't I don't I'm not interested. I you know I don't mind sharing my information, but I don't want to be thrust in the spotlight and become an authority. I just want to do my thing. So he wrote the first book, and um, as I said, and I started shortly after I got approached to to, to do videos. So and coincidentally. It was, I think it was 1982. Um, I shot the first two deer, you know, to my knowledge, I'm, I'm told this, that uh, were ever shot on production video with a bow type of thing. And they both happened to be running shots. So I got thrust in the, in the limelight, whether I wanted to or not type <laughs> of thing. But uh, I've been making videos off and on for decades. And uh, in fact, I, I just finished most of my other DVDs and videos have been more entertainment with a sprinkling of educational stuff. Mm-hmm. And I just brought out two new ones, which are how-tos. They're more educational info and strategies and techniques and, you know, how I um, hunt whitetails. And as I said, it's, some of this stuff is not common knowledge, so they're being very well received and they're they're available too. So I've kind of gone, I've gone from Gene used to write the books. I used to do the videos, and now we both do both type of thing, you know. So sure. um, I just like to share the knowledge with the the not so lucky or up and coming <laughs> youth hunters and so forth. I I had but, asked my uh, uncle Mark if uh, if he wanted me to share anything with our audience today, uh, and he he had one thing that he really kind of uh, wanted me to pass along more than anything else. And he said, just how advanced you and your brother were in your writing and, and what you shared on video when you guys started, you know, or in the eighties and the, in the nineties, just how advanced your teachings were and how much that helped he and Terry kind of learn and and strategize and, and go down the path that they went down. And I've, I've often heard both Mark and dad talk about you guys over and over and over of how influential you were and, and, and kind of 
them starting and going down the path they went down, but he just kept going on and on about how advanced your tactics were for that era. Um, you know, I, I appreciate that. Um, and I think I've always thought that a lot of stuff just is based on luck or timing. And I'll say this, that our timing is Gene and I are identical twins and consequently, um, and we, we were the only kids. I mean, we, we were born hunting partners, et cetera. And there's a, there's a, an element of competitiveness, but not really, you know, in other words, haha, you know, I got a bigger buck than you did this year or whatever. But I'm saying when it came to learning, we would share two heads better than one, mm-hmm. meaning we would, I would see something and I would say to him, you know, this is what I'm seeing and explain my thoughts on it. And he would pick it up and add to it. Yeah. You also have to consider this, this. So it was like two heads better than one. And on top of that, that's all we did. I mean, we were only interested and in, we went through the routine of, you know, gun hunting when we we're little, when we we're kids and stuff, but we started our, my, my dad gave us bows and arrows. And if the truth were known, I think it was because he thought we would get in less trouble shooting arrows around than we would if we were, you know, with the BB guns and 22s as we were little kids. But anyway, we just never put our toys down. We just kept, you know, bow hunting and, and it got, um, so that we concentrated, we both, I remember when I was a little kid thinking, do I like rabbit hunting or pheasant hunting or squirrels or, you know, no, or groundhogs or whatever. No, I like deer hunting. And I concentrate once I decided what I wanted to concentrate on, I focused all my education and thought patterns on whitetail. So it's been a lifelong um, dream come true, so to speak. And I, I tell these young kids, I mean, it's a, it's a, an opportunity to, to enjoy the sport, meaning I use the analogy like kids that like football or, you know, baseball, basketball, whatever, but a football, you know, they play sandlot football and then if they're really good, they'll go place in high school. And if they're really good, they'll go to college play, but then they're really good. They can maybe make the NFL, but the realization is that when they turn whatever 35, they, they got to give it up because of the physical limitations and so forth. And in other words, hunting is a sport that a hobby that we can pursue until we can't walk anymore, you know, can't see anymore or whatever, but it's, it's a lifelong uh, experience that, you know, you mm-hmm. just build on. And I have to admit, I mean, as, as thorough as my whitetail woodsmanship education is being, or has been, I'm constant, I'm still learning. I mean, to this day, every time I go out, it seems like I learn something new. So it's accumulation of knowledge. And uh, like I said, I, I'm, I'm trying to, to share it with everybody. You know, I, again, I, I mentioned, I just brought out these two new DVDs, and as I said, it's just it's a matter of people um, getting out in the woods and making it happen and enjoying the sport for what it's meant. Yeah, to be. don't quit, Barry. I see a lot of parallels between 
what you and your brother just and what you were saying there two minds are better than one and what mark and terry have always been good at they're of course they're 10 years Mm -hmm. apart but they've by doing this thing together for 30 years this this is our 30th anniversary this year jury outdoors it's congratulations we appreciate that and it's a it's a lot to do with their minds what one doesn't think of the other one will Mm -hmm. and and just Mm -hmm. to your same point they would strategize and they still strategize it amazes me it's fun to hear them talk together when they talk hunting you know it's it's or even land management or whatever it might be when they get to going Mm -hmm. what Mm -hmm. one doesn't maybe come up with the other one might and, and then they go off on a tangent and that gets them rolling you know what this that i noticed that too and then they'll start Mm -hmm. talking about it and that's really kind of how they have broken down Mm -hmm. the information that we've shared through time with our audiences it's just like there's always something new to learn there's always a mistake that can be made and we've made a lot of them over the years but they're so analytical (laughs) they learn from them and we can try to pass that on to you know the audience and i i've tried to pick up on what you know, it's almost insurmountable the amount of knowledge that you can, if you really open your ears and listen, yeah. that you can gain from somebody. And it's just, it's interesting to, to hear your, you know, kind of your story because I feel like there's a lot of parallels. Two brothers, you know, being the sure. obvious one, but the way that they go back and forth is very similar to the way that it sounds like you and your brother have have kind of figured things out through the years. Well, I, I tend to be a loner. Meaning, you know, but in the same respect, you know, in other words, when I go hunting with either my brother or a friend or whatever, um, it, we, we might go into the woods together and hunt the same area or whatever, but I tend to go my, in other words, once we get into the hunting area, I'll go my own direction and my buddy or my brother will go the other direction and, you know, when we come back together, you have somebody to talk it over with and share the experience, um, not necessarily just what you saw, but what you learned, et cetera. And another sharing is half of the fun. But in the same respect, um, hunting with somebody, I mean, especially with the uh, videography. In other words, I got out of it for years because I couldn't, I, I said I couldn't handle it. In other words, if I make a mistake, I can, I can accept that. Mm-hmm. But if I have a big one coming towards me and here he comes and the cameraman sneezes, you know, <laughs> mm, that's tough. I, can't, I can't take that. Mm-hmm. But, so anyway, uh, as I said, it's just, it's, it's totally different when you're, you know, you have to do the happy medium. Just totally different when you're actually pursuing a specific, especially a big old fully mature whitetail buck versus just trying to get footage type of thing. And you can't do, but it's, it's really, I say you can't, you can, but it's really, really tough to get, to be your own cameraman, to set it up and, and, you know, get the, the, the hunt on film and, you know, harvest the animal yeah. and so forth. So there, at, at any rate, that. that's, that's where we are today, trying to, to uh, make memories and still, you know, <laughs> share 
those those memories and well, that knowledge with the others. Yeah, and so Barry, you mentioned sharing knowledge, and that's one of the the hallmarks of the show. Mm-hmm. And that we've got listeners that want to know kind of what you think, and uh, and so we have our question of the day from listener Keith out in New York. Yeah, the question of the day is brought to you by Tenzing. Go further, hunt longer, Tenzing. Hi, my name is Keith Ziddle. I am from Niagara Falls, New York. I have been hunting property that I have asked permission for, and properties get bought up by other people and posted. I'm limited to where I can hunt, and where I do hunt, sometimes you have people come in and push that area that you're hunting during bow season. What's a guy to do to help himself be a better hunter and not have to worry about people that are pushing deer during bow season? This is ridiculous. Any help can help. I will take all help. Thanks. Keith wants help. And uh, thank you, Keith, for asking the question. If you want to submit a question to the show, just go to dreoutdoors.com slash podcast and tap the leave voicemail button and let us know your name and location and what your question is. And we'll, uh, we'll do our best to get it on air. But I, the thing I like about Keith's question is that he's looking at what he can do himself. He's realized there are some things he can't influence and change. And so he's the equation, the part of the equation he can change is his own hunting ability and becoming a, a better hunter in general. So sure. Mr. Wenzel, uh, what's first your of all, let me say I had a hard time uh, understanding the recording, but I think I've got the gist of it. And I'll, I'll start with this, that, that um, manage, managing property um, is, is almost, in other words, the, the deer itself are one thing, but people management is another thing. And a lot of that kind of depends on where you're hunting, where you live and where you're hunting. Uh, I think he said he was from Niagara Falls. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the back east, you have a tremendous amount of competition. Um, and unfortunately, not everyone is honest, meaning that uh, um, if everyone told the truth and kept within the boundaries, that's why we have game laws, um, and, it, and that's why we have trespassing laws, et cetera. It would make things so much easier if everybody was honest. But unfortunately, due to the numbers, there's a lot of people that are in it for different reasons than you or I might be. So, as I said, I, I'm not sure if I understood the exact uh, scenario here, if he was hunting public land or private land. Okay, and I'll, I'll take them separately there. Uh, first of all, public land, as I said, the location back east, um, you know, you have so many more people that are out there, and not just hunters or bow hunters or but you know bird watchers and mm-hmm. people looking for m- mushrooms and and sightseers and hikers and small game hunters etc et all kinds of of uh individuals to, to deal with on public land but 
in that respect, I mean, I, I used to, I lived in Montana for 30 years and I uh, uh, did a lot. Most of the hunting around where I lived in Northwestern Montana was national forest, U.S. Forest Service type open public lands. But you're also talking a, a huge, huge, I mean, many, many thousands of acres. And once you got out in that quote open do-it-yourself uh, public property, mm-hmm. you could get away from the the majority of others that are hunting the same area. And it's it's I've always thought one of the biggest advantages or secrets to successfully hunting mature whitetails is hunting undisturbed deer. Okay, on the and the other side of the coin. For example, the state of Pennsylvania, he was from Niagara Falls area, New York, but if you go, like Pennsylvania has, I think, I don't know, a million hunters or something, and they have thousands and thousands of acres of public state game lands, public hunting lands, and yes, you have the numbers to deal with, but if you drive across Pennsylvania through the, the, the mountain areas and you look up at those, I mean, they're, they're uphill climb. I'm out. I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, the mountains are too steep and too far to the mm-hmm. top and that there's no way that you, to me, that, uh, you can not get away from a lot, a big percentage of the hunters. They filter so the ability, and that's one of the, the, the advantages of having a, a farm that you can hunt and you have access to, et cetera. Um, you can manage the amount of hunting that's being taken place on there if everyone is honest but unfortunately they're not um i like to in other words if if you're hunting public land um i like i pre hang all my sets i mean i go in i spent 90 percent of my time scouting and you know 10 percent hunting so to speak and i set up the situations so that I think it's going to be best for myself. Now, as I said, I'm not saying you, some, some places it's illegal to hang a stand in in, on state grounds or whatever and Mm -hmm. leave it there. Uh, some states you're not allowed to screw in tree steps into the trees. In other words, but I can go in and set up the situation. In other words, set the stand, detail it, but pull the stand, take it out so that when you go in, you can hide it in the leaves or whatever, but you can hang the stand and have a, whatever whatever you want to call it, a semi-sneaky uh, approach hmm. rather than, than uh, in other words, you can have your stand set up and move accordingly to the one that's going to be most advantageous to that particular day. Sure hunting and stuff. And if he's got guys coming in, putting pushes on, et cetera, there's not much you can do about that, whether it's they've got permission or not, if it's legal or not legal. The, the disturbance they're going to make in that particular hunting area is going to be um, detrimental to his hunting. I don't care how good of a hunter you are, you know, you're going to be fighting the the chances of, you know, uh, success. And sometimes it depends on the situation, 
but sometimes you can use those other hunters to your advantage. Meaning if, if you see a pattern where the guys park in the same place and they put a push on and push the deer the same direction, um, you know, there might be some if you, some way that you can take advantage of their disturbance mm-hmm. to you know uh, help yourself and your hunting methods. And yeah, stuff. You, so, you're almost patterning you know, those other anyway. people, and and that's and that, that's. I mean, Keith's scenario is he's in the same boat a lot of guys are. They don't own their own property; they're hunting property. It's private land, mm-hmm. but they've been given mm-hmm. access to it, and so there's not a whole lot that maybe he has the capacity to do to control access. Mm-hmm. He just kind of going to have to play it where it lies. And, and so patterning, I mean, I, I've had, I've had friends drop me off onto a small property I'm hunting so that neighboring Mm -hmm. landowners don't see that I'm out there hunting because they, Mm -hmm. because they've actually tried to spoil my hunts before you kind of feel like. No, is this public land or private? Well, in both instances, both in Keith's uh, scenario and mine, it was private land. Uh Mm-hmm. It was private land, right, right. And, you know, and I hate to be sneaky, but I'm the same way, you know. In other words, I I, I hide my truck, you know, I'll, I'll walk in from a long way away, you know, to not disturb the area. And I'm perfectly legitimate and legal to hunt this particular piece of property but if i'm walking down the road for a quarter mile half a mile or whatever so i don't disturb the the area and here comes a i can hear a truck coming down the road i jump in the weeds and hide you know type of thing even though it's totally legal i just don't want people knowing where i hunt and it's uh, partially it's because of my reputation. If they see my truck parked next to the road, they assume there's a big one in the area. Next thing you know, mm-hmm. I think I'll check this out too, you know, et cetera. So as I said, you know, you, you try to have to, to, you know, be a little bit sneaky and so forth, but that's, that's how you uh, don't disturb the area. There's so many guys that don't realize the, the intrusion, how sharp, I've always said you, you got deer hunters, you got buck hunters, and you got trophy buck hunters. And as a deer ages, it becomes so sharp and you know attuned to its environment. And on, and then you throw in the personality of individual bucks. I mean, some of them are much more uh, lovers and fighters, and you know, and as get as like I say, I, I use the example of dogs. You know, one dog will run up to you and wag his tail and lick you, and the next one will run up to you and bite you. You know, and it's it's different personalities, and each buck has a distinct personality, and consequently they might range further. They're they're you see the ones that are all busted up and their eyeballs hanging down the side of their face, oh, and geez. you know they're fighters type of that. thing for breeding, and then you see the other ones that that you know are pretty boys type of thing and at any rate it's just a matter of learning each different area and each different animal and trying to adapt to you know hunting them specifically you know Mm -hmm. i don't i mean personally i don't think i i 
get a kick out of sometimes watching some of the TV shows and videos where the guy will say, you know, oh, oh he, he's, he's mature, he's three and a half, you know. I, I don't consider, or he's mature, he's four and a half. I don't consider a deer mature fully until he's fully mature at five and a half or better. And as much as they change, not just physically, but they'll change mentally, they get sharper season. The more seasons that deer has under his mm -hmm. belt, the, the sharper they get. And the, the more you have to um, become sneaky, you know, and hunt, hunt smart. So, Barry, one of the things you're known for is your prowess with uh, traditional <clears throat> recurve bow, and I'm I, I'm fascinated by the recurve. I I'm, one of my goals in life is to take a deer with with a recurve bow, but to date I've only ever shot the compound out hunting. Mm -hmm. I'm curious what what would our compound bow hunters benefit from that our traditional bow hunters do. First of all, I should address, I mean, you didn't believe all those running shots. That was all done with smoke and mirrors. All special effects, right? Anyway, <laughs> I, I need to clarify that, and this is a good time. In other words, I have shot a recurve bow my entire life. Um, that's all I've shot. I don't even own a shotgun. I, know I, don't, I haven't shot anything with a gun, I mean, other than a, a possum off the at the garbage can or, moon or something in the backyard or in the garage or whatever. But I'm, I'm talking, I haven't hunted with a gun. I don't even remember for 50 years or whatever it's been. Um, my point is, and then because I shoot a recurve and I, I happen to shoot it instinctively, I, the re, I person, that's, it's my own choice. In other words, I personally feel that I'm a better hunter with a recurve than I would be if I shot a compound. And I set up the situation, um, you know, specifically for close range shots. I, I don't, I like my shots at 15 or 12 to 15 yards. Mm -hmm. I, I don't like them at four yards and I don't like them at 25 yards. I'm a, I'm a more efficient hunter when I'm, when I set up my animals, my shot, uh, at 12 to 15 yards. I don't really care what the next guy, in other words, if somebody is with me, I got some of my best friends shoot compounds. Absolutely. No, no problem whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Okay. But with, with a recurve or traditional bow, so to speak, um, I, because I'm setting it up for a 15 yard shot, um, I actually, I'm, I'm handicapped, so to speak. In other words, I, I, some the compound guys, you know, a buck will come by, you know, at 35 yards and they'll, and I'll hear the guy say, Oh, it was a slam dunk, 35 yard shot. I mean, slam dunk. You gotta be kidding me. I, you know, it's, I, I'm not even thinking about shooting at him at 35 yards. It's so, okay. So what I'm saying, and I, I, I use the the analogy of, of uh, a gun hunter versus a bow hunter, a, Bow hunters, and no offense, but bow hunters tend to be better hunters, woodsmanship-wise, because of the range limitation of their mm -hmm. weapons. Meaning, if, if a guy's hunting with a gun and a big monster Boone and Crockett buck steps out at 60 yards, all right, 
um, the guy with the gun, it's all over within 10 seconds. He just shoots him. Whereas if a guy's got a bow in his hand, he might not. He's forced to watch the deer and learn from the minute movement and, you know, uh, forced to watch the deer because of the range limitation of his weapon. So it's a learning experience for guys that are hunting with bows. Um, and I've, I've always said that. I mean, if, if I can, I think it helps the sport of bow hunting, meaning most guys, and I'm talking generally here, but most guys are better shots at say, 20 yard, 15 or 20 yards than they are at 35 or 40. Mm -hmm. Consequently, if you set up the situation for a close shot, you're going to have less problem or less uh, uh, wounding rate type of thing, you know, because you're going to be a better shot and so forth. So it's good for the sport, you know, but as far as learning, uh, I have to hand it, you know, it's like the compound guys, I, I'm, and I say I'm naive, meaning I've never shot a compound, but, you know, I mean, I, I don't know, uh, like, sites I see in the magazines, you know, I mean, different bow sites and stabilizers and balances and releases. And, you know, oh, I missed that one because my carburetor needed adjusted or whatever, you know. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, as I said, I like to keep things simple and practice accordingly, you know, and set up my, my shots for close range encounters. And I just enjoy it. And that's, that's half of the fun in my opinion. So anyway, I got away on a rant, a tangent there, but go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, you're, you're a hundred percent right on. I, I know early on in my bow hunting career, watching many deer walk out of range of me and my bow. And I made the mm -hmm. commitment. I'm going to get much better at learning these deer and how to pattern them and figure out where to put my stand. So I don't have to keep mm -hmm. watching mm -hmm. these deer walk out of my life. So on that topic, Barry, you know, one of the things that I, that I read about you, that, that there's two things that, that, you like to teach are, are, are styles of, of hunting that, that you kind of go after. It's hunting undisturbed deer, which you've already mentioned, and then learning mm -hmm. the terrain. So obviously to go on the point of getting in tight on deer for, for traditional archery, you got to know the terrain really well. What are the key things that you're looking for? There are just a couple of the key items that you're looking for. You're asking me what I'm looking for. Yeah. Okay. When you're looking I, at terrain, I, I, people, Go ahead. Right. Learning, learning the terrain that you hunt in. In other words, um, um, I've hunted all over the United States. I mean, I, I used to live in Vermont and I went to school in Indiana and I lived in Montana, you know, for 30 years and now I'm in, in Iowa. Um, so I've gone from everything from mountainous terrain to perfectly flat to rolling. I like, I prefer rolling terrain that has some structure because you can tend to, to um, adapt to different wind conditions. And I, I think one of the biggest secrets of successful hunting of, of big, fully mature bucks is learning the terrain structures and uh, as coordinated with winds. And when I say winds, I'm talking everything from general breezes or, you know, to thermal currents and stuff. Mm -hmm. There's, there's, um, um, whatever you call 
example. In other words, a deer, a, a big, especially a big mature buck, they pattern their entire life on signals that they receive through their noses. And most guys don't understand that. That when a deer, when a deer does something, if you go into the timber and slow down and think, use your common sense of thinking what's going on there. Question yourself, why is this deer doing this? Okay, you'll end up learning and especially if you can you and your buddy or whoever can work two heads better than one can work the ideas out together okay i use this a perfect example um is the 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 say say you've got a ridge that runs east west and on the north end of it at the bottom of the ridge there's a food source a alfalfa field mm -hmm. all right and your predominant wind comes from the south all right. Okay. So the deer, because gravity, uh, or I, you know, or or uh, thermals, you know, heat rises. Physics. I mean, heat rises. You know, uh, colder air is heavier, and it drops. Warmer air. It, so during because deer are normally pretty much nocturnal animals, they'll bed up on the ridge so that all day long the sun warmed air is drifting the thermals up into their faces. They they won't be right on top because they're skyline. They'll be just mm -hmm. down over the crest on the downwind side of the ridge, meaning the wind, the thermals are coming north to south, and the predominant wind is coming south to north. As it crests that ridge down over the side so they're not right on top, it forms, I use the example, it's like the surf, where the, the surf, it forms a tunnel yeah. where the thermals and the predominant wind hit together and it forms a tunnel. That's where the deer bed. And it's brilliant. The reason they, they're doing that is they're getting thermal and predominant wind direction coming from both directions so they can smell anything that's either behind them or in front of them and they can see down the ridge to you know below them so if anything disturbs you know the, the deer from that you don't even know they're there okay and then in the afternoon as I said, the, the majority, how different the big bucks are than the rest of the herd. In the afternoon, the, the, the majority of the herd, the, the immature bucks and the does and the fawns will get up and they'll drift down the mountain with the thermals in, in their face to the food source. All right. They enter the field to the food source. The big buck, he stays bedded on the top of the mountain and lets them go down in the field and he waits till dethermalization so that the air thermals start to drop down the mountain. All right. Then he has the thermals at his back and the predominant wind at his back and he's got the rest of the herd standing out in the field in the food source acting as decoys. So that's the reason he's the last one to enter the field to right before dark. The exact reverse is true in the morning. Often when it's not even light yet, the big boy, he'll start head up the mountain to his bedding, you know, with the thermals coming down in his face. He's got the rest of the herd watching his the back door type of thing. If you bust, if you're in there, if you bust, 
one button buck, you don't even know the big guy was there. I mean, it's that he's, they have learned to use the wind patterns for their security, for their safety, and every move they make throughout the day is normally caused or resultant from a security factor. You'll find areas within the woods that, uh, um, in other words, there's a tremendous amount of sign in this area. Mm-hmm. Usually, the reason there's a tremendous amount of sign there is it's tough to hunt. It's <laughs> unstable yeah. wind directions, and that's what they like. You know, I put it this way. I remember one year, and it's been decades ago, I was sitting in a stand, and here comes, a, it was a, a, a five-by-five, three-and-a-half-year-old, 10 point. Mm-hmm. All right. And he was, when I first saw him, he was probably 80 yards. It was during the rut. And anyway, he's coming right towards me. All of a sudden he stops. He stood there for a couple minutes and he lays down. I went out, you know, which if a deer beds down, I love that because I can watch, they'll, they'll, they'll notice an, an incoming deer way before I will. But anyway, he laid down for like two minutes. Then all of a sudden he stood up and he moved towards me about 20, 25 yards. Bear with me. This is a learning thing. Anyway, he moved towards me 20, 25 yards and he laid down again. And I'm thinking, wow, he must, you know, it's during the rut. He must be really tired. He was chasing those all day. You know, he can't walk 25 yards without bedding down. You know, the third time he gets up, he moves, you know, another 10, 15 yards or whatever. He beds down. He bedded down I don't remember, it was three or four times in that, you know, what, 80 yards that I watched him when I first saw him. And all of a sudden it dawned on me. And what he was doing, he was not moving forward until the thermal or the uh, the wind direction was to his advantage. Oh, in other words, he was standing yeah. there and all of a sudden the, the wind was at his back and he couldn't, it was sick enough, he couldn't see very good and then all of a sudden the wind would shift and blow towards him. He would get up and it would move 15, 20 yards or whatever and then he would stop up. Oh, I can't smell anything in front of the wind shifted again. He'll lay down. So they're using that wind direction for standard, you know, I mean, this this is a three and a half year old buck, you know, they get even smarter when they get five and a half and up. In other words, they don't, they don't make a move in their daily lives uh, unless it's geared to, towards security. And the only positive we have of that is to get into an area where it's you have some consistency, consistency mm-hmm. that you can depend on wind direction and or the the our great our, our rut the peak of the rut um, the the reproduction of the species you know perpetuation of the species so to speak is becomes number one and they will throw a lot of their uh, security factors. No pun. Throw it to the wind, you know, and they'll, they'll just—they're—they're uh, they're trying to breed and and hand down their genetics and so forth. So understanding how deer move according to the terrain and the wind is vitally, vitally important. Wow, <laughs> that's that's you're blowing my mind a little bit, Barry. I, I, you know, just just the whole the whole notion of safety over comfort, and especially as deer get older, that just becomes more and more tantamount to them. So that's mm-hmm. thank you, uh, thank you for 
Throwing a they, wrench no in, my, in my they, deer hunting They philosophy. have nothing but time on their hands, right? That's they, the they, they're in no hurry other than the rut. Yeah. They got nowhere to be. Like, like you're, <laughs> to you're looking at your watch thinking, I've got you know another half hour before a shooting light ends, yeah. and they they don't care. They're going to they're yeah. gonna wait out. Yeah. Um, sure. Well, sure. <laughs> so well, Here's another thing. Let me throw this at you, too. Another thing as far as... Uh, um, the wind involved, and it's just you know something I not too many people know. One of the things I teach in the videos and stuff, you know, that you know guys go, "Wow, I didn't know that." I'll have somebody say to me, "You know, do you do you hunt scrapes a lot?" You know, okay, yeah. I mean, sometimes I, I hunt areas, you know, that have a, a lot of scrapes in them and so forth. You know, and a lot of it depends on the density, et cetera. But they'll say, "Do you prefer hunting scrapes in the morning?" or in the evening type of thing. And I'll, I'll say this, that in, in the morning, deer, and they're intelligent enough to know this. And as I said, Gene and I go around about it, you know, as far as uh, um, instinct versus reasoning, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, deer are not supposedly been able to reason, but some things that appear like they're reasoning, I believe it's instinctiveness and stuff. But anyway, back to my point, um, they know that the, the, the general deer herd, you know, beds down during the day and, you know, are up running around breeding, you know, rutting during the night, et cetera. All right. But if a, if a, a deer, uh, is going to say a buck is going to check a scrape. All right. They won't normally, they will come in downwind of this, that breeding scrape and scent check it mm-hmm. in the morning because they, they're concerned there might be a big one that's bedded close to the scrape overwatching it just like a, a bear sometimes you know if you're baiting bear or a barrel you know bed down close to the the bait site or barrel or whatever to k- kind of claim it or dominate it type of sure. thing well a, a, a sub a, a subordinate buck doesn't want to walk right into the scrape in the morning and get, you know, ambushed by the big boy type of thing. So they will tend to scent check the scrape in the morning. Whereas in the afternoon, they know that the big boy is probably headed for the field to be, you know, because dark's just right around the corner and they're, they're going to be having an orgy or chasing does all over the field at night. So he will actually come in downwind, but he'll actually come in and freshen the scrape in the afternoon. So in mornings, they will tend to scent check the scrape. In the afternoons, they'll physically work the scrape. Hmm. So you can, you know, set up accordingly type of thing, you know. So anyway, there's little things like that. The guys, they don't think, I mean, they don't reason. In other words, use our God-given talents of reasoning to try to figure out what's going on. Slow the pace down mm-hmm. and think about what you're seeing as you're you're going through the woods and stuff. I get carried no away. I'm sorry. No, doubt. no, it's, no, it's all great information. And <clears throat> I think that's part of what you, you know, you kind of preach is the woodsmanship side of it. And so often I think people, you know, and, and we perpetuate it, you know, we're par- partly to blame because of the way a TV show goes. You got 30 minutes, really, you got 23 minutes. Well, really, that means you got about with sure. the intro and the outro and the bumpers, you got about 13 minutes of hunting, you know, and so we're going through and showing the highlights. It's just highlights. That's all it is. It's not all sure. the time oh, yeah. spent. People in, don't realize that, you know, and, 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 
Yeah, that makes. I think it, it's 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 good and bad, right? I think the the TV shows and the DVDs and the VHS tapes back in the day, it's it's all helped uh, continue the tradition of our sport. But it does also, as people have wanted bigger deer and more deer and you know faster pace, it's perpetuated the thought of it happens like that, and yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. It takes a lot of time, and we probably right. are losing a lot of that woodsmanship, and and that's that's the unfortunate side of I think the. It the is. And I'll- and I, business. I, I say, and, and again, no negativity, meaning, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm afraid that the, the kids these days, they, they're, and it's our fault. In other words, they're being taught the best way to kill a big buck is to sit in a shooting house over a food plot. Yep. And that's fine and dandy, but the more work they put into it, the woodsmanship skills, you know, the more enjoyment they're going to get out of it and so forth. So it's, it's just, a, I've, I've said this so many times. You can, you can read the books and watch all the DVDs and go to the seminars, et cetera. That's all well and fine, but you need to then take that information, throw the books and every, all that, slow it aside and go in the woods and boots on the ground. Study what you're looking for and think about why what you're seeing is happening and all and, and check all the little pieces. I mean, constantly checking the wind and, you know, the uh, the the direction the, the, the deer are facing. In other words, if you see a bed in, a, in the leaves, okay, I mean, the bed, it, you know, it, there he is. But, don't, you know, most people just say, oh, yeah, there's a deer bed, all right? I look at the bed, okay, it's, I look, it looks like a kidney bean or a lima bean type of thing. So I study the, the way the deer bed is so that you can determine which way he was facing, all right, and then relate that to the wind direction. Yeah, yeah, he's laying there with the wind at his back. So he's, and, oh, yeah, he can see whatever, 200 yards down the ridge. So he's he's able to, to smell anything behind him and see anything, you know, down the ridge. Their movement patterns. Again, you got to think what they're seeing and stuff. I use this as a, as a good example. That is, say you've got a ridge going east-west, all right? And as I said, they tend to bend, bed on the, the, the downwind side. Say your, your predominant wind's coming from the south and, and the ridge is going east-west. So they'll be on the north side of the ridge, just down over the edge and, and so forth, mm-hmm. all right? But over the years, if you look logging practices, all right, in a, in a big, I'm talking a big hardwood ridge, all right, wherever. And if you look careful, you'll, you'll see, yeah, it was, there used to be an old skid road here. When they logged this 50 some years ago, they, there used to be a skid road there right on the top. And the reason that skid road is on the top is that's, that's flat. It's a lot easier to haul the logs out with horses or whatever on a flat surface than it is on the side hill and so forth all right guys they'll see all kinds of tracks on that that the remnants of that old logging road and wow and they're smart enough they'll set up just down downwind of it all right and then how many times you heard it the guys set up just downwind of the the, the logging road and 
oh, that big one, he came in right behind me, you know, well, no kidding, because that's where he's supposed to come in. Those tracks on that logging road are mostly nocturnal tracks and so forth. The, the, the main, especially in the afternoon, sometimes in the morning, you'll have a deer walking that logging road heading, especially if he's been out in the fields running does and he's, sure. he's heading to his bedding. It's not maybe it's, uh, or he's checking does. It's not the peak of the rut or anything. He's heading to his bed. He, he's running late. He'll, he'll come in on that logging road. But in the afternoon, you know, 99 times out of 100, he'll come in on over the crest. If you look, there'll be a secondary run that's paralleling the top of that ridge. That's where the big boys are. So they're they're able to smell anything that's upwind of them with from the predominant wind direction and see anything that's downwind them. So they can smell what they can't see and see what they can't smell. That's where they're moving. And then you have to set up your stand, your ambush accordingly on the downwind side of the downwind, the, the uh, downwind trail. So again, it all makes sense, makes perfect sense if you think about it. And that's, that's what I like to do is point this stuff out to guys so that they'll use it they'll go home to their own turf and you know oh yeah it's just like he said you know i mean it's you know it's it's perfect there it is you know and there's the perfect tree and you know type of thing so you have to choose your your hunting position according to the the all the pieces of the puzzle that you put together if if folks are listening right now and they are feeling like they've been playing checkers and, and really they need to be playing chess like Barry's talking about. Um, brothers of the bow.com. Brothers of the bow.com is where to find Barry and Gene's work along with the Mitten brothers. And you talk about a masterclass and really understanding deer behavior and physiology and why they do what they do. That's probably the best place to reach out and, um, and get in touch. Yeah, we'll, that's great. Sure. And we'll, make sure that we uh, we link that uh, that page up in the show notes and and again B- Barry thank you for sharing your wisdom and your years of experience this has been We've, enlightening frankly we just need to have you back on for another podcast to start getting into more of the woodsmanship side because it's I mean you could do 50 podcasts about that probably <laughs> Yeah, my biggest problem is remembering what I already told you. You know, <laughs> you, know you know what? You and like my I dad said, are really similar. These that I brought out that are how to. Um, they're they're actually I don't know almost four hours of of info, but I actually did I don't know almost ten hours, so I'm not even halfway done. Oh my goodness! You know, in other words, things that I teaching or educational stuff that I intend to bring out down the road and so forth. But it'll get guys thinking about what they're seeing. And that's what I want. I want guys to, to get out there and, and enjoy the sport and Mm -hmm. think about what they're seeing and hand it down and share it with the, the up and coming youth and, and make, give them plant the seed and give them something that they can pursue the rest of their lives, you know, and, and enjoy. So anyway, I appreciate, you know, you guys calling. So, Oh yeah. Our pleasure. Well, we appreciate you and, and uh, please extend that to your brother as well. And, and uh, we hope you guys have a a safe and successful year. Hopefully we'll get to talk to you before then, but uh, we just, I just want to say thank you on behalf of all hunters, bow hunters, gun hunters, whatever it's, you guys have shared a lot of knowledge and and it's meant a lot to a lot of people in the hunting community. So thank you so much. I appreciate it and stuff anytime. All right. right. 
Well, we should probably shut this Thank thing you, down. If, yeah, thanks, Barry. If, if folks haven't yet, the 30-year anniversary giveaway, uh, go check out the farm page in DeerCast and get registered for that. Subscribe to the show, this show, if you haven't already. Absolutely. We're giving away every month for our 30th anniversary. We have a lot of cool prizes. I believe here in the month of May, we're giving away a whole complete package of Morel targets. Uh, of course, the farm giveaway is the big prize at the end. And uh, you could do that by downloading the DeerCast app or making sure that you have the most up-to-date version of the DeerCast app. And there's a lot of cool stuff coming down the pipeline there. We're getting close to summertime here. We're going to be launching Gen 2. Uh, we've been working on that for the last six so months or so. Yeah, we have a really cool tracking feature that we're going to unveil. So um, there's there's a lot of good teaching, you know, to kind of play off of what we've been talking about with Barry. There's a lot of good teaching material inside the app and uh, we'd love for you guys to take a look at it. And mm-hmm. of course, as always, follow us along on all the social channels, our YouTube channel, Drury Outdoors. We have tons of great content. And uh, until next time. You've been listening to the Barry Wenzel Podcast. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed. Peace out. See ya.